0: And welcome back to the pod pod. It's your boy, Dossie. Hope you had a great new year. We are in 2023 and I, I hope you're really enjoying, hopefully still on holiday season. I know a few have unfortunately gone back to work, but I'm still enjoying the holidays for sure. And to celebrate the holiday season we have got you another podcast with yet another interview with a man who wouldn't have really done much celebrating over the new year, not with any beverages, that's for sure, because this man's on a strict diet for that 12-pack. I'm talking, of course, about Holmesy. Soda waters only for Holmesy, zero sugar, um, of course, for the any sort of uh, soft drink beverage over the new years. But the great man has gone beyond the call of pod-pod duty, this preseason in bringing us a couple of cracking interviews with some fantasy greats in our community. If you heard last week, he caught up with Matt Mottram, the reigning Hilux winner from 2022. And now we're in a new year, but we are going to look back again at the runner-up, who a fellow runner-up, because Kyle himself was the runner-up a couple of years ago now. So, 2021 runner-up, chatting to 2022 runner-up. What an episode we have in store for you. I would like to mention, of course, that this episode is brought to you, as always, by the Keeper League. And it's not just for Keeper League. Check it out at keeperleaguepod.com.au. It's got tons of resources to help you with the AFL Fantasy Classic team as well. We've got the CBAs there, kick in trends, drafty fantasy analysis, so you can check out all those rookie options. Gee, they've got plenty of stuff there. Scoring trends, weekly projections, you name it, they've got it. Use the code podpod at sign up for any membership and get 20% off. Link in the description below. Enjoy this episode with runner-up of 2022, James.
1: This is Holmesy here, coach of Holmesy's Heroes, and today I'm joined by another special guest. Uh, today I've got James, coach of Shuckers, uh, runner-up in AFL Fantasy Classic twenty 2020- twenty two. James, how are you going, mate?
2: Yeah, good, Holmesy. Um, going very well. Can't complain. Thanks for having me on. How are you?
1: Yeah, nah, going very well. Uh, last week of school, before school holidays, and uh, have a l- little bit of extra time to relax and, and hang with the family and, and start to, to really knuckle down and have a look at fantasy. So, James, obviously, we share something in common. Um, both <laughs> of us have that number two hat. We uh, can both say that we've been very, very close to winning that Toyota Hilux, but not quite being able to get it done. So, just just give us a bit of a bit of a rundown first. So, what's your sort of fantasy history, and hey, have you been up sort of high before, or was this sort of the first year that it's all come together? What's your sort of um, fantasy background?
2: Yeah, so we do. We're yeah, we're in the number two club, which is good. Um, not quite there, but. We'll keep going. Um, so I've been playing for a few years few years now, um, kind of probably eight, eight, seven or eight years and just kind of um, took it a little bit seriously, maybe the last two or three. Um, never really had a super high rank. Like in, I think the last two years, I was around the 500 mark, 800 mark um, in there. So a couple of top thousand finishes, which is respectable. Um I think in today's fancy climate, it's so competitive. But yeah, this, this season was just um, out of this world really, like a bit, bit of a crazy ride and um, yeah, to get second is just um, unbelievable.
1: Yeah, there's so much content out there these days. There's there's lots of podcasts that, you know, the traders put out all their information, um, Selby does his thing. So to finish in the top, you know, top 2,000 even with how competitive it is these days is quite a good effort. But to come second, you must have been pretty stoked. Let's let's roll through your season a little bit because it's kind of, you know, talking to Maddie last week as well, your season was, was incredible. So, am I right? You're in the top 100 from round three? Uh,
2: I think round three, from memory, I was 110. And then round four, I jumped, had a very good week and jumped to 10th. So, I was in the top 20 from round four. I think I dropped to maybe 19 as a as a worst rank from there, but um, yeah, started round one 8,000, then to 800, then to 110, and then yeah, top 10 from there. So it it was got serious pretty early, considering I'd never really been that high. Um, but yeah, it was it was good fun.
1: Yeah, it's just. Uh, just speaking to Selby about it as well, like where we, traditionally where we start pretty slow and then, you know, we build and we build and we build, we wait for those rookies to come through and, and for all that value. And if you've done the right thing, then that's when you can really charge late. But to have two coaches like yourself and Matt be up there, you know, from round four. And then I know Matt hit the front from round nine, just shows that you guys kind of found a different way to play it in, in 2022. And it, you were able to put the points on the board early but also have the value to then, you know, stay strong and, and bring it home. So, um, was there any sort of sort of different strategies you went, you know, going about it in, in round one last year or you just kind of just, you know, picked the best players available and it all kind of came together? What were you sort of thinking with your starting strategy?
2: Yeah, so this – well, 2022, um, I'd, I'd listened to a fair bit of content. Like, it was um, – You know, it's pretty hard to avoid it these days, as you said. Um, But if you're, you know, an addict like myself, then you just consume it all. Um, And I listened to you go on the podcast a couple of times and just say, set and forget rucks. And I dodged that, not on purpose, um, because I started Marshall and English in my rucks. um, But that's, I saw value in them. I didn't think English was going to go 110 for the first six weeks or whatever he did, but I thought, you know, he could... We've seen it, he's had, um, you know, games where he's shown he can he can play fantasy, and I thought if he could pull it together, it was a bit of a risk, but it, it definitely paid off, um, so I kind of wanted to go a little bit different from the start, um, knowing that to win it, well, not knowing to win it, but, you know, you're always here, you've got to go different if you want to get really, really high, um, so that was kind of a bit of a bit of a strategy going forward, but. I also you know didn't want to go crazy i i, I thought there was merit in picking picking it you know two uncommon rocks last year if that makes sense
1: yeah yeah absolutely i suppose it's definitely a strategy when yeah i went on the the traders podcast <laughs> and was and was speaking about gorn and grundy and then when when those boys say they're going to do the same thing you know that you know a large portion of the comp is going to go one way and if it if it you know it does present the opportunity for you to go another way and if it, if it comes off you're already a, a big step ahead of the competition I'm not sure I would have gone Rowan Marshall with um, Ryder around but it, I suppose what well, it paved the way for you to go to Proust pretty early were you someone that jumped on Proust
2: yeah so that was I actually had that plan in mind like if you remember Ryder was out with an injury I think round one. And Marshall was solo rock. And he actually got, from Memorial 108 round one. And I knew Proust was suspended. Like, I was going to start Proust all pre-season, Proust in English. Grundy and Gorn were actually never in my team for the whole pre-season. So um, I, was, I was definitely going with an English. It was just that I wanted to go Proust. But then I thought, um, you know, kind of, it was a bit of a set plan, have Marshall for a couple of weeks and then dropped down to Pruce, because I thought Pruce was just going to have, at his price, was probably going to be a, a must-pick. Um, you know, he had a bit of a rollercoaster year himself, but um, he definitely showed he can score, and at that price was great value. So that was my plan. Marshall down to Pruce to after a couple of weeks when, when Ryder was back. Um, so I didn't think I was holding Marshall all that long. If that, um, you know, that was, that was the theory.
1: Oh, yeah. Bruce was great, mate. I had him for one round in total and he averaged me 14. So, yeah, I, I love the big fella. Oh, yeah. No, fair enough. It's it's definitely definitely a strategy. Um, I like it. Have you just, we'll go off a bit of a tangent while we are talking about rucks. Have you thought about what you might do for your rucks this year? Or are you just going to wait for some of the podcasts to, to come out so you can go the opposite of what they're saying? Or, you know, what are your thoughts? Uh,
2: no, like any time you hear, hear something, you're going to – take it with a grain of salt like it's either gonna it's gonna be correct or you know it's gonna present an opportunity doesn't mean you got to go one way or the other um but in terms of next year you know marshall does look like great value um not sure what exactly his price that Maybe in like low 90s um but if he's got a yeah solo, he's 91 solo 91 yeah there you go if he he's got a solo gig like you'd think he's going to go three figures. Um, but Tommy Campbell could easily get a go. You just don't know what Ross, the boss, is going to do. Um, so he's definitely one you'd lock in if it, if he does have that um, you know, time to himself in the ruck.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see over preseason. I, I know Ross has traditionally been a run one-ruckman kind of man, but he did have Aaron Sandlands, who was a, a generational ruckman. So you're not... <laughs> You're not too sure, but you are. You are right. If if Marshall does look to have that number one ruck role, it's going to be pretty hard to pass up that value, knowing that. Well, he was a he was a big reason why I was able to charge in 2021, and he's been very fantasy relevant in the past. So, hopefully, he yeah, is the solo ruck, and we can lock him away. Um, so, in terms of your your starting squad, we won't hammer, hammer on around hammer on about it too much, but just give us a little bit of a thought into what you're looking for for players in terms of like your, your D1, D2, M1, M2, like how are you going about finding those players? Are you looking for like the genuine top guys in their line? Are you always looking for value? What what are your sort of philosophies there?
2: Yeah, I mean, it. it there's multiple ways, I think, to pick a starting squad. Um, but one thing I try and do, and, you know, I hear yourself, I hear Selby, um, all the guys who have been up the top, they say you've got to find value in in each player, so that's what I try and do. I do try to pick a player, whether what whatever position, whether it's D1, D6, um, M1, M3, whatever. I want to make sure that they're um, underpriced, you know, and and especially in that first half of the year, can can make you that cash you need to get those rookies off the field and, and upgrade elsewhere. That's that's my my theory anyway, but. You never know. Like, it, what's done in the past, what's worked in the past, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work in the future. Each each year is different. That's something that I've I've realised as well. So, um, that's that's what's worked for me this year. But um, see see what happens in in next year.
1: Yeah, and that's the crazy thing about fantasy, right? Is that every year is different. When I came second in twenty twenty one, I was the only one that started Gorn and Grundy and I had nine rookies on field. And and just looking at your starting squad here, I think you had five rookies on field, which was a pretty common structure, ran last year in twenty twenty two. So every season's different, which you're dead right. So we won't look at your starting squad too much. In terms of like looking for value, so are you one of those coaches that's quite nervous paying up to begin with? So we, we say that we always look for value, but let's just use like a Josh Dunkley, for example, or, or a, even a uh, um, Carlton, Sam Doherty, who's priced at 110 this year. Would you be scared off um, paying up for one of those players at round one knowing they're pretty highly priced or... Do you think you know there could be even a little bit of growth in it? You know, at least a Doherty who didn't have a preseason at all last year and was still able to do what he did, or a Josh Dunkley who's clearly moving to Brisbane for for more midfield time and greater opportunity.
2: Yeah, I mean, Doherty one ten, it's a it's a high number um, to be priced at, especially for a defender. But you know, we do know that he can average one thirty for five weeks in a row. Um, he's one of the most um, fantasy-friendly games in in the AFL, and he's one of the best scorers. We know that, um, so one ten wouldn't necessarily scare me away, um, but I, I would want to make sure you know he's if he's going under that, it's a you know you'd want to be one oh five around there, um, and it to be more a, a bigger gap difference than you know like a D two or a D three if that the d2 or the d3 of the year um so that you're you're making up even though you're losing points in the price you're making it up um by not having someone else i've kind of gone really uh technical there but it, it made sense in my head i just don't know if i've portrayed it that well um does that make sense
1: yeah, absolutely. I, I suppose it's you're right. If you if you genuinely think like a Sam Doherty can come out and go one thirty over the first five rounds, which he's more than capable of, then yeah, maybe that is someone to lock away early knowing that you're going to get that jump on the competition. However, on the flip side, priced at one ten, he he would need to go, you know, one twelve plus just to not lose any cash with the way that the magic number works. Yeah, and if you if you think That's right, you know, someone priced in the, the mid-90s, let's just say like a, a Tom Stewart type or or one of those other players can match him over the first five and you can potentially get him a little bit cheaper, then that's a, you know, it is a value-based trading game as well. So, there's definitely things to weigh up, but you're right. Uh, like yeah. I know for myself last year, just thinking, you know, I'll get Doc when I can, I'll get him when I can and, and you know, he just didn't get any cheaper and it just, the, the coaches that didn't have him were, were no chance. So... Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a tricky one if you go against someone like that. For, and that's why I probably won't go against Josh Dunkley. I think he's probably going to be the highest averaging forward by a mile and, and he does have the ability to go big. So even if he has yeah. a, a 150 game at some point in the first two to three rounds, um, you're going to be chasing tail to, to get him. So, yeah, that's right, very yeah. interesting. I do,
0: like, I do like
2: a dunks this year. Um, I think he's at 109 roughly. Um, is that right, Holmesy?
1: Yeah, yeah, around that 109 mark.
2: Yeah, so, you know, he's got potential to be a 115 highest averaging player in the game. Like, and you just, we don't know what his, what his role is going to be at Brisbane yet, but there's, you know, solid chance he's going to be the, the second man to kneel and just get to roam free and and do that 115 that um, we think all think he can do, which would mean a fantastic pick.
1: Yeah. yep, you're spot on. Just talk to me a little bit about your mid-pricer philosophy. So, Selby likes to talk about that 85 mark. If you're getting 85 plus from your mid prices, then they're going to be scoring well enough for you to keep them for, for a while at least and then sort of trade them around their buy or just after. What are you looking for with your mid prices? Is there 85 mark? Is it 20, 30 points? What What are your sort of philosophies?
2: Yeah, I, I do love a mid-pricer. I'm very prone to one. Um, start of the year, I want to pick someone who's going minimum 20 under, I mean 20 over their starting price. That's just a number that comes to my head when I look at, you know, someone priced at 68, can I see them doing 88? Um, If they're priced at 57, you know, can I see them doing 77? And because there's always going to be value, you get the trade season, you get the draft, Um, it's just about finding Who's going to give you the most upside, and and I think in the mid pricer twenty is a pretty good place to start. It's pretty realistic to to find you know three or four um, players that are going to do that. But that's just that's just me. I know, yeah, Selby loves that eighty five mark, which you know it's pretty good, pretty good rule too.
1: Yeah, it's everyone does it a little bit differently. Personally, for me, I I don't think twenty is enough because. Uh, like a mid price is there to generate cash. They're not there to be a keeper. But the thing is, if the mid pricer turns into that keeper, then that's when they're the competition winning picks. Like two years ago, when you had um, Nick Hind and Isaac Cumming, both from I think 40 price tags, end up putting up. I think Hind was, was 85 and, and Cumming was even, I think, a little bit more than that. But they had stretches throughout the year where they were going 90 plus that's what turns into to being that competition winning pick because you've essentially got that keeper from a mid price bracket. Whereas if you're just looking for twenty points upside, you're gonna get that from a rookie. Like a basement rookie only has to average 42 to to match that, right? So um, <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And and don't point. get me wrong, mid prices definitely have better job security. Like more often than not, they're their best twenty-two compared to a, you know, a rookie that might be in and out. So they definitely have that um, element to them, but yeah, if if they're not sort of pushing, you know, eighty-five as sort of a, a defender or a forward, or even like a ninety ninety-five as a as a mid-only player, then um, you know they're not going to be able to be held long enough to really be value. And you a lot of the time you're going to get more cash gen from a rookie. So once again, two different ways to play it. Um, some of the mid yep. prices you you sort of took a took a leap at last year. So. Uh, Lipinski what did you? What were your thoughts with Lepinski? Or la 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 Lepinski? <laughs>
2: yeah. um, I mean, round one from memory he had a one seventeen, looked very good. Um, bought himself a few more weeks in my team, and then you know I think he might have just had a cracking game. Um, not sure how many goals he kicked, and that might have been two from memory. But he he looked like a, a good pick, and he was definitely well under priced what he went. Um, so he, he did, you know, have some um, merit in the pick, but probably just didn't stack up in the end. Like it would have been much better for me to start a Paddy Cripps or, um, someone along those lines who, you know, I just couldn't bring myself to do with his injury history. Um, but yeah, so I'm a bit indifferent on pisking, probably cause I got rid of him quite early on. He hasn't burnt me or left me with any scars or anything like that. So, um, you know, I, I don't mind it.
1: Yeah, and I suppose the the important thing to note here, so I'm just looking at your team. So you started Wayne Miller, Chapman, Lipinski and Taron Thomas, all picks that you wouldn't say were fantastic, but you've still managed to, to get out of it and come second. So I suppose the thing is, You've you know starting these mid prices that they can potentially win you the comp, but you've got to be prepared to jump off them as well. Otherwise, um, they can burn you. But you've shown you've just the trading game of getting off them and and getting to the right players, which I suppose is good as well. Um, you're not having to worry about trading out premiums to go down if you've you've got mid prices. It's easy just to jump across as long as you don't have injuries and things like that.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like it's such a tough line at that those first few weeks. When, you know, you pick a mid-plier pricer and round one it doesn't work, do you think jump off or do you give him another go? And, you know, those those trades cannot be underestimated with, with how important they are. Like, we know Maddie Mottram got off a row very early on, proved to be crucial to him soaring up the ranks. Um, I, I traded Tarrant Thomas round one as well. So, even though I've copped that 40 or 50, whatever it was, you know, he's hasn't Hurt me um, a whole lot because I've got rid of him so early on, um, but it does go the other way as well. Like you know, um, you know, you, someone I know people who traded out Cogs, and then the next week he gets that change in role and goes on a tear. So you know, it's it's such a fine line with um, do I hold or do I trade? Like it, it's the age old question, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so that's probably a pretty good segue into our next little bit. So let's talk about some of your some of your best trades and, and what you're looking for there and how you sort of got to, to where you were so early and were able to maintain.
2: Yep, yep. So I, uh, some of my best trades, like starting off with a Bray helped, helped so much. Like he's just um, so underpriced and, and went on that um, great run at the start and, and in English as well. Um I think English was probably my most important pick, even though it wasn't a trade. It was a it was a starting pick who I think he might have been like two percent owned when I started with him, and just went. He was going like 20 points to 25 points more than Gorn and started like 250 grand less. Like that, that's just a, 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 such a great result um, in, in that sense. In in terms of probably my best trades. Bringing in. Um, You know, I jumped on a a Dawson, I think in round three, quite early on, and and he wasn't super highly owned either, and um, that was just, yeah, rocketed me up. And I got on a Doherty pretty early on as well, maybe round nine or ten from memory, when, you know, he was owned, but he wasn't super highly owned in that top hundred, which is where I was. So I was looking at things like that as well. Where can I? Um, even though he's expensive at the time, where could I find value in in the players I'm, I'm up against, and where can I where can I see you know points of differences there? So those two yeah really really stood out and helped me a lot I think.
1: Did you get on Jack Sinclair at all?
2: Yep yep got on Sinclair at the buys as well and um, probably a couple weeks earlier than a lot. Um, which which helped a lot, and and he was fantastic as well. Um, so even though I'm not pick, I didn't nail like a huge amount of the big mid guns pods. You would say I found my pods in the forwards and and in the um, in the backline as well. Like I remember having Butters like round four or five, and he dropped that thirty. If you remember, I think against the west west coast over there, and I actually downgraded him to Rosie, and that's I think he saved me like a hundred grand. And I thought my theory was, okay, I can make a hundred grand here, and I think Rosie can average the same as Butters. I didn't think he'd outperform him, but I thought he could make and go the same and then give me that hundred grand, which is the trade I wanted to do on the other end as well. So um you know, thing, things like that. That that just um was a bit ballsy, but it, it paid off.
1: Yeah, so Rosie Correct me if I'm wrong here. So, you said you traded in Rosie. Did you then trade him out later on? Because you said you were looking to bring him in in that last round. So, when did you trade yeah, out yeah, Rosie? Because I, I, I did the same, unfortunately. Uh-huh. I didn't come <laughs> second, but.
2: Yeah, and no, I brought him in, I think, five or, round five or six and traded him out maybe six, round 16, I'm going to say. So, I held him for a while, um, but I... You know that was the time you've got all the the new DBPs again, and um, so it might have been round 18 that I got rid of him, and I was able to go up to like a Bont and uh, a Parker and and you know the big names, but um, probably probably ate my own words and uh, Rosie was probably the the one to stick with.
1: Yeah, that's fantasy though. Like that's that's the right yeah. move to make. He was. He was never supposed to be that keeper and it wasn't till the very end where, don't get me wrong, he went on a pretty decent run. But if you're sitting second or up in the, really up in the top 100, the obvious move is to take him up to a Bond or a Parker or, or a genuine top six. So, it's yeah. definitely the right move. Um, it could have been worse. I think I, I traded him round 21 when he had that 60 and then they were worried about his knee injury and they were playing late on the Sunday and I thought, I just can't risk this. And I think he went on to put up back-to-back 130s or a 130 and a 140. So I was pretty scarred from that. Someone, were you an early adopter of Darcy Cameron as well?
2: I didn't have Darcy Cameron the whole year. So that was a big mistake. Um, You know, he had those few tons in a row and everyone jumped on and I wasn't, like I knew he had the role. I just thought, potentially could slow down um, and I might be a bit too late, but that was so wrong. Um, he was fantastic. So I didn't have him the whole year. Like um, That one definitely hurt.
1: <laughs> so no Darcy Cameron, but you had Bruce. you had Rosie. Were there any other mid-price types that you saw that were sort of these competition-winning picks that held, held, uh, helped you get up there or was it more just picking the right Uber premium at the right time that allowed you to stay where you were?
2: Uh, yeah, def- definitely. Cause I started so well, um, I felt after that I didn't have to make these um, mid-price picks after that, cause I felt like I started with a few. Um, so it, you know, at one point in the year you're probably got to have them. I, I felt like I nailed a lot of my rookies as well. Um, you know, starting with a Brody, starting with a Nick Martin, a Dakos, those type of guys. Um, so that definitely helped for the cash gen, and I was able to. To upgrade quite early on to the to the big guys, um, but I feel like yeah, once once I was um, up there, it was more about nailing the right primo at the right time, um, getting in a Miller quite early on when he was cheap. I think I traded in a Gorn maybe round five um, as well. So um, after people had jumped off and he bottomed down in price, I was able to jump on which was, um, you know, that was a massive pot as well. Um, So, it was more about finding the primo at that underprice right point of the year.
1: Yep. I do remember you did have Himmelberg though, right? When did you trade in Himmelberg?
2: Yep. Yep, that's right. So, Himmelberg was um, the one at the end of the year that I jumped on. I caught on him after that. Um, one one sixty against the roos. I didn't have him for the one sixty the week after I bought him. I think I might have got him at about seventy five price at, roughly that maybe eighty, and he, he yeah he went went quite solid. He was averaging me a hundred maybe for those six or seven weeks that I had him. Um, so he was definitely one, um, that um, helped me help me stay up there for sure.
1: Yeah. So rolling rolling through. So, talk to me about, you know, the sort of the last rounds coming to that last round, you know, talk us through all the emotions that you're feeling, you know, if you thought you had it, you know, if you, there's anything you sort of could do differently because, you know, I, I know what it's like as well to be so close. Admittedly, you were a lot closer than I was in terms of I was, I think, 150 odd points off it in the second or in the last round and I've come home very strong, but never really thinking like I had it, but you were, you were genuinely in the hunt the whole time. So how did those sort of last rounds go for you?
2: Yeah. Um, so I was, I was, you know, it was pretty not clear, but there was a good feeling that it was going to be me and Matt finishing one or two in maybe like the last four weeks. Um, we had a bit of a gap on the comp, maybe a couple hundred points to third roughly. And so it felt like, you know, as long as nothing were disastrous, Um, we were, we were going to start off, um, one or two. So, you know, that was a little bit of security, um, for me, like, but also, you know, you play the game to win the Hilux, um, not to come second. I mean, second's still fantastic, but I'm probably never going to be in that position again. So, um, I was trying to win it. That's for sure. Um, made some pretty, pretty, um, outrageous moves, um, we, we spoke a little bit towards the end of the year and um, I was just going through um, some trades and I remember bringing, I was bringing in, I think it might have been round 19 or 20, I was bringing in Brandon Ellis and he was uh, one person out of the top thousand owned him at the time that I was bringing him in and like no one was even speaking about him or anything, and I was I was bringing him in, and then he was in my team. And the Saturday afternoon, I'm not sure if you remember, but Cogs was a laid out, um, so I actually had to reverse that that move and got it at Tim Taranto as well, who went 70, and and Matt had him um, as well. So it wasn't a point of difference. I decided to match, which um, wasn't wasn't fantastic, but. Um, yeah, and then the next week when Ellis Ellis came back in, he dropped a one thirty, um, and it would have been a <laughs> it would have been an absolute genius genius stroke, um, but it just didn't plan out. But those things like that, you know, you can't do much about. And I was obviously um, very blessed that it didn't go through with the the um, the Ellis trade because he was delayed out um, as well. But um, yeah, like it just. It does take up a lot of your brain towards the end, the end of the time, and um, it was very stressful. Like I remember in the last week as well, um, I had I had Aaron Hall in my team as one of the three or four pods between me and Matt. Um, so it, originally on the Sunday night, I was probably going to trade out Himmelberg, thinking that he was going to bring him in, and he ended up bringing him in, and I just didn't like the matchup against Freo, and I thought I was going to trade out Himmelberg to Rosie who went 140 against the Crows, and I was going to bring in a, a Paddy Cripps um, as well. And I... Yeah, that Aaron Hall being dropped just killed me. And um, Yeah, but not... So I ended up not being able to make those trades, which I um, had all week up until teams. But, um, you know, there's, that's the type of pick an Aaron Hall is. When you, when you jump on an Aaron Hall, you know, he's going to get injured... I didn't think he'd get dropped, but that's the way it goes. Um, but yeah, he's just just a bit um, maybe unlucky in the end.
1: Yeah, look, he he went 120 or something the week before, didn't he? So he was he was very good the yeah, week before, yeah. and yeah, you you're dead right. He's he's that all or nothing type pick. You know what you're getting into when you when you pick an Aaron Hall. It was just very unfortunate that that game was I think it was the second game of the round so not only did you have to trade him out but you had to use your trades which Matt could then see so then he had all the cards in front of him to choose what he wanted to do from there so that was yeah. unfortunate um, mm. but yeah well you are what happened on Sunday when Bailey Smith was getting tagged so did you <laughs> was there a flicker of hope did the uh, you start to start to believe, or were you just done with it by that point? You weren't really watching.
2: No, I, I watched it. That's for sure. I think you know I was roughly maybe 120, 130 points up. With he had two players left to go. I had no no more um, pods, and he had Bailey Smith and Jack Crisp. And all week I was thinking. You know, Jack Crisp is probably only going to get a 60, maybe a 70. Just he'd been in bad patch of form. Like, I was very comfortable with him having Crisp as a pod. Um, You know, I think he got a 72 from memory. So, um, you know, I was was, um, pretty happy with that. But, you know, the Bailey Smith one, um, you know, I thought there was probably like a 10% chance that they'd tag him. And (laughs) when I turned on the telly to watch... You know he's being tagged. I'm like, oh geez, are we on? Because I was in the back of my head, I was thinking, you know, I don't think Crisp is going to score well if if they can hold Bailey Smith to a is a subpar score. I'm a chance, um, and you know, I was a chance. I think Crisp needed a 55 at the end of it to win, and just got there. And um, yeah, but that last quarter when the tag got taken off Bailey Smith, that was a that was a dagger in the coffin. Oh, I thought it could be over then.
1: <laughs> yeah, I suppose we had uh, very similar experiences in terms of I needed Jack Crisp to, to go well <laughs> yeah. and and he didn't but I got uh, incredibly lucky I don't know if you remember but the last game of 2021 so it's Essendon versus Collingwood and Jay Rantel of all players I think he played one game for the year they, he came in and, and randomly tagged Darcy Parrish to a 60 um, which which kept it close <laughs> yeah. so, No, I don't uh, remember that definitely takes a lot of luck to be up there and but you know you you did all the hard work to get there so needing that little bit of luck's definitely definitely earned so if you could sum up your season so obviously you you've never done this well before and now you've experienced what it's like to well I've never experienced being up there so early but you've you've got to into the top 10 very early on you've managed to hold on and you've gone so close Give us some of your learnings from the season. yet you know your sort of big takeaways and what you look to sort of bring to, to this season.
2: Yeah, big takeaways. Um, it's definitely number one. back yourself in. Um, like, you, there's a lot of content out there these days, and um, you know you can listen to a lot, and it's it's pretty easy to know that when so much. Content is out there A lot of people Are going to listen to it So if you have a thought That's different to something You're not hearing But you can justify it um, You know You just Got to back yourself in um, And You know That's That's probably the biggest thing I learned Like too many times Like I traded in A dry Simkin at round two That didn't work at all um, <laughs> But um, You know I Yeah So I I definitely didn't have The Hail Mary season To finish up second I was Real solid, like, I didn't really have too many poor weeks, but I didn't have, like, a whole lot of top 100 for the rounds either. Like, I was always just thereabouts, kept steady. Um, so, you don't have to um, have the perfect season to win it. Like, you really do not. You don't have to make every trade correct. You've just got to, you know, keep keep strong, I guess, like what Roy says and... Um, you know, if you if you get enough things right, eventually, eventually um, you can you can do it. I reckon.
1: Yeah, that's a fantastic point you mate make. And you started eight thousand, so not fantastic. But you just you mentioned you you had your starting squad pretty well in in check. You know, Andy Brayshaw beginning with is just fantastic. I started him as well, but he was a top three bid basically from a from a low hundred price point and and when you do start so strongly you're able to just, you know, use your trading game to bring in who you need to and, and to continue building. So I think that's a pretty pretty good point that you make in in not trying to do everything but just be real solid and just build and build yeah. and build and, and back yourself. I think that's a that's a fantastic point. Is there anything else you'd yeah. like to add?
2: Yeah, as well, um, probably you know, um, you don't have to, you know, Pick the low percentage players all the time as well. Just to, if that's um, what you're thinking, you don't like, you don't have to do that. It's it's uh, more, you know, finding those value players. That's always going to be true to the game. Each each season, I believe, is completely different. Um, so I think we could well and truly see a different methodology win it next year. Um, but yeah, it's 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 more about playing the season. As well as just playing the, the theory of the game.
1: If, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. You know, Selby, when he first started dominating the game, played it differently to, you know, the people that won it sort of the early 2000s. And then it became yeah. different again when you guys did it this year. So you're exactly right. Yeah. And, and the beauty of it is we're not going to know exactly how to go about it until we see some games in preseason and we know how many rookies are going to come through, how many of these mid prices are going to be alright for us because the reality is with this, you know, all this content in preseason, I think Steve sums it up on the draft doctors quite well. Everyone's improving. No one's regressing. Um, so that's
2: right,
1: yeah. Yeah, so the reality is that there are going to be plenty of players regressing and, and not everyone's going to pop like we think they are. So that's that's the beauty of the game. Um, a yeah. little bit little bit off the cuff here, but I've got a few sort of questions from this Discord to, to go through. You happy to stick around and, and sort of talk a little bit more? Yeah mate. Let's go. Beautiful. Let me just open these up and have a look. Didn't have too many in there. So, have you done much much planning for twenty twenty three at the moment?
2: Look, I was uh, pretty burnt out by the end of twenty twenty two mentally. Like it, like I said, it does take a, up a lot of your brain. So, I did have a good, um, you know, a good period without really thinking about it at all, um, which was which was nice. Um, you know, see your friends a lot more as well, which is good. Um, but it's – I haven't given it a whole lot of thought, but, you know, I've kept an eye on, you know, what's what trades have happened, what does that mean for the team that's traded, what does it mean for the team they're going to. Um, so there are – you know, I've kept an eye on it. I haven't given it too much thought, but I've kept an eye.
1: Yeah, perfect. And Yeah, it is pretty hard at this time of year, but – no doubt now that the positions are starting to, well, the positions are out, um, prices will start to come out soon. I think the game will probably open in the next sort of two weeks just before Christmas. So, I suppose now's the time to kind of just get involved with the content again and, and start to have a play around and see see where it all lands. So, just on that then, yep. when when you do your fantasy planning or throughout the year, do you, do you lose a, use a lot of data or, or models or anything like that? Or do you just basically just, yeah, where do you, where do you get your information from and, and how do you go about it?
2: Um, so I don't use a ho- like any models or anything like that. I truly believe in, um, like seeing the role of the player on the field. Like I can't, yeah, that's, that's, that was my go to, um, you know, I, I watched a fair bit of footy last year and, you know, i focused a lot. Um, you know, I was watching it cause I love the game, but I, you, you do f- tend to focus on, on the fantasy more than the game, um. So I was looking for roles, you know. Um, I was quick to notice if someone's gone down injured, how does that team change? What does it do, do for the roles for the players? Um, so, you know, and there are plenty of articles that um, go into what does this mean and um, all that kind of stuff. So they're the things I would I would really look for more so than um, the numbers and the stats, really.
1: Yep. One of one of the things I like to do as well. So Fan Footy is a pretty fantastic website, um, and one of the the key metrics that I sort of look for is just seeing what they've done in the past. And Fan Footy, you know, has it all there, and sort of um, the seasons gone by, where what they've scored and, and things like that. So that's a good one to look at. But obviously, were you a were you a member a member of Maria's Magic last year? Selby's platform.
2: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, I that that was uh, definitely a go to when I say I don't look at uh, like I don't go off the stats that's a lie because I was on Marias Magic every week. <laughs> um, but you know that the buy planner for that I used a lot um, pretty, pretty early on like um, you know I reckon maybe round four or five I started putting my team in, started preparing, not dictating my trades but preparing for the buys. Um, you know I wanted to make sure um, things went well. And I think in the buy period from memory, I went from 14 to third and that kind of set me up for the killer back half of the year. So the buys were definitely, you know, something i focused on a lot more in past seasons. And yeah, that, the, the buy planner from Maria's Magic helped so much.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree more. It's a fantastic resource and obviously Selby does great things there with everything he does for charity as well. So, if you are a serious fantasy yeah. player, when that platform gets released, um, I think it would be close to Christmas, if not early in the new year. I'd, I highly recommend getting on that. And that kind of rolls into our next sort of question from Sebastien. So, during the season, what podcast do you listen to?
2: Um, so, it takes me... I live in Sydney, and, you know, I've got about an hour trip to get to work each morning, an hour trip um, in the afternoon. So, you know, I do consume, like, that's my podcast time. And, you know, I listen to, you know, the Traders, I listen to the Up Boys, I listen to, to you guys and DOS, um, the Pod Pod, Marera's Magic. So, they're probably the, the four I listen to. Um, so... You know, I I do love it. I can't get enough. Um, so it's pretty easy to <laughs> pretty easy to to consume more.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm exactly the same. I'll 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 listen to a lot as well with driving to get to work and. And other stuff like that but you are right where you say consume the content but definitely back yourself in because it's it's very easy to get sort of persuaded by what a lot of other coaches on podcasts are saying where you do still need to sort of back yourself in and, and not get swayed too much by what everyone else is saying
2: yeah agree and just because I came second last year and I'm saying back yourself in does not mean I'm right either <laughs> next year it might be the right move to, to listen to everyone on the podcast so you just like that's a great thing you just don't know which way it's going to go. And yeah, I'm pretty, pretty keen to attempt to go one better next year. That'd be awesome.
1: Yep, right there with you, mate. But you're going to have to do it the year <laughs> after because I've got it this year. Um, blue and orange, so he he's just wanting to know about some of the top liners. So whether we touch the top liners this year or whether we're, you know, really going to look for more value. So I suppose that's kind of like a a Dunkley Tim Taranto Type I, I definitely think Tim Taranto um, presents value whilst being one of the top liners, and, and Dunks is pretty similar. But we kind of spoke about that philosophy before in terms of um, we do we're not afraid to go the top liners, but they do need to kind of present a little bit of value at the same time. So um, you're pretty yeah. happy with that? How we answered that before?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, keep an eye out on those guys, um, and you know, watch them over preseason if if they look. If they look like they're ticking boxes, there's um, every chance they'll be fantastic picks.
1: And then, so, Blue and Orange has asked another one here. So, can you think of any traps that you sort of fell into last year or or you saw people fall into from where you were sitting?
2: Um, Well, like I mentioned earlier, the biggest trap I fell into is not picking Darcy Cameron. Like, um, you know, that's a trap that, you know, not picking someone is also a trap. Um, so you know, sometimes if the writing's on the wall, you've just got to do it. Um, but I got, I got trapped with a Jai Simpkin as well. Um, you know, not that he was a trap for everyone, because I'm stupid. But um, you know, you know, uh, Himmelberg. You know, that's a risky pick, but it it, it paid off um, for the most part. But that's definitely one that's up and down. You know, if he gets swung forward, you know, you can just about book in a fifty. Um, Top of my head, I can't can't remember anything else, really.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'll I just here? back in on that. I think the biggest trap that I've fallen into over the years is picking a mid-price player that is not guaranteed best 22 because if yep. they get dropped, you're just in no man's land and it's easy to just think, you know, they've got 20, 30 points upside in a perfect world. But more often than not, these players that are right on the edge of a, a best 22 – if they get dropped, your season's cooked. Like there's not a lot of coming back from that, especially if you, you have a couple of injuries alongside that player getting dropped. So that's one of the biggest things. And I suppose one of the traps we sort of speak about on the pod pod as well in terms of early days is just reshuffling your rookies all the time. So like going from basement rookie to basement rookie to basement rookie once they all, they all get dropped. And I kind of I fell into that trap last year as well. I, I started Jake Saligo, who turned out to be a very, very good pick. But I ended up – I think I traded him out maybe round four or five and then had to get him back after he put up a good couple of scores later on down the track when I would have just been better off holding him and trading around him and and hope that he comes back because if you you, you trade from that rookie to another rookie, they don't have any better job security either. They're just lucky enough to be in the side for that one week. So, yeah. that's that's one of the traps I sort of – fall into a little bit and, and one of the spots in my game that I need to get better in in terms of rookie selection and 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 trading them early days. Did you, did you have any of those experiences with your rookies early days or you were able to nail everything pretty well with how you started?
2: No, I do completely agree with those points. Rookies, you know, super important. I actually, in that round one, I had Nick Martin on my bench and, and looped him in for that 130. So I actually fielded Holland's. In round one so you know for the first 18-19 weeks I was having a donut through Holland's until he debuted um so you know ne- never did I have 30, 30 green dots um it is important but you know just about every other rookie I nailed like I started with a um, X-ary started with Nick Martin um uh De and Paddy McCartan um Which were all great cash cows, but I was pretty good at jumping off at the right time as well. So, um, like to reiterate your point, like it is about the rookies are cash gen, but they're still it's still a trading game. Like you've still got to make sure you're making the most.
1: Yeah, yeah, very, very important. Um, you said you haven't uh, thought about it too much, but let's have a, a little bit of a discussion about some of that. We won't talk about rookie options because it's just like throwing a dart at a dartboard. We don't know until they're named. But any sort of mid-priced options that you've you've thought about?
2: Um, one that comes to mind um, is Omira. Um, I know that's you know probably not the most popular person, um, but. Just see, I just want to keep him on my watch list. I want to see what kind of role he's got in the preseason. If he's going to be in the guts, then he could present present a bit of value. Um, like I do think he does have capability of going 100. Um, you know that might be super unpopular, but I just think he's a good player. Um, and the the Kangaroos boys as well. I I, I want to keep an eye on them. Um, you know the the young draftees, but then you know the guys like a Will Phillips. Um, An LDU, I know he's more of a primo, but he could be a bit of value as well.
1: Yeah, Omira, that's a little bit uh, left field to be honest. I've I've thought about it as well, not um, not thinking that he's sort of a mid price or I'm going to start or anything, but I am I'm a, I'm a Freo man, and I genuinely believe that he's just going to come in and slot straight into the midfield role that Mundy had last year. So he's going to have you know 60 to 65% CBAs. Maybe even a little bit more because Monday's time on ground was a little bit capped, and I think with Freo in the hunt, I think it's going to be yeah Brayshaw, Sarong, O'Meara with sprinkles of Will Brodie and, and Fife, and I think that's going to be a pretty solid midfield mix. So you definitely wouldn't think that he's going to go worse than the eighty that he got last season playing off the, the half forward flank. The the Kangaroos yeah. boys, that's an interesting one. So. I'll just I'll go off the back of this because I've been thinking about it a bit. But Will Phillips, the the fantastic thing about him is he's going to be rookie priced and he's going to be pretty close to basement. So if he if he's playing round one, that's just an absolute absolute lock. Third year yep. um, former number three draft pick in a in a rebuilding side. Taron Thomas does he interest you at all?
2: Um, he does, but he's he's definitely on the watch list. Um, brilliant brilliant footballer it's just it's probably more mental um than anything else for him i reckon like if he's coming out with a good mindset like he's probably almost a lock um if he gets his you know um his self himself together to play inside mid football then you know who knows what he could do what about you do you like him
1: uh massive preseason watch for me uh Yep. I'm Agreed. I'm hoping hoping that he shows something in the preseason because if he does, like you said, he's a lock. He's a slam dunk pick. I just I think there's just something off about him at the moment in terms That's of right. yeah, something we're not we're not we're not privy to, which we're not going to be. We're not inside the four walls of the football club. But um, there was a pretty massive drop off last year, and you would hope Clarko comes in and, and sorts it out and. And there's a, a, a rumour that he's going to be playing off the halfback. And if he does that, then um, he's going to be 30 points under that 56 price tag, which is going to be a very, very good pick for us as a as a forward. Uh, some other ones uh, I want to get your thoughts on. So it kind of goes off the back of O'Meara leaving. So we've had Tom Mitchell leave Hawthorne as well. So some of the Hawks boys. So we've got, um, you've got Josh Ward. You've got, um, you've got Warpole, We've got um Newcomb so there's clearly going to be opportunity at Hawthorne have any of those Hawks boys got your interest at all
2: yeah yeah um Joshy Ward he's one that I'm quite big on like I think he could definitely um present a lot of value um I'm not sure exactly what he's price at do you know what he's price at Homesy?
1: Uh, not off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure it's mid 70s. So that's I think that's a bit of a barrier for him at the moment. Um, he's just a little bit sort of in that middle area where you probably need him to go 95 plus from that price tag.
2: Yeah, which I do think he can do because I'm pretty sure that center center position is going to be his. Like I, I'm not 100 percent sure, um, but I do think he will with the two you know Emira and Mitchell going out. It's almost a question of who's left if it's not him. Like, you know, and and I know there's um, Newcomb, who will be definitely a bull in there, but, you know, it doesn't present as much value because he does have a bit of a heftier price tag. But we did see in the back, you know, maybe six or eight weeks with Josh Ward, he's got a fantasy game about him. He can score. So he's definitely on the watch list, I would you know, um, would be keeping an eye on his preseason for sure, as well as um, the other the other boys you mentioned as well. Like the Hawks, mids have just got opportunity there, and when you've got opportunity, you've got to take note and see what happens.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. We we don't know who's going to pop, but you just look for those teams that do have opportunity and roles available, and and the Hawks they they definitely do. That they're, they're not going to win many games of footy this year. You wouldn't think with their the young team, but. I think that would be crazy not to have a Dylan Moore in there you know pretty yeah, much full time he was he was sensational in the back half of the year not only as a as a uh, ball winning midfielder but being able to get forward and kick goals as well he's, he's someone in that I'm gonna say Christian Petrarca mold not from body shape because he's not big but he he presents someone that can win ball in the midfield but also get forward and, and get dangerous so I think he's definitely one to to watch. On top of Warple as well, like Warple, he's had back-to-back years of 95. So, he's done it before. Um, He hasn't had the opportunity. Yeah, he had CBAs last year, but he was behind everyone. Um, From all reports, he's burning up the track. He's priced at 56. So, there's definitely growth there, but it it would take a very ballsy coach, I think, to pick him off the back of, I think, last year he had a a game of 10 and that wasn't even injured. So, (laughs) clearly something going on there.
2: (laughs) No, I, I agree. Like, Dylan Moore, he is just an unbelievably good footballer, I think. Like, taking away his fantasy ability, he can seriously play the game well, I reckon. Um, so I do think, you know, he's going to get more time in the mids just because, like, I'm pretty sure Sam Mitchell absolutely loves him. Um, and he's going to use him as a weapon who can push forward, kick goals, like you said. He's not, like you said, he's not that bull, but he's kind of creating... You know that Dylan, he's almost creating like a Dylan Moore type player. He's getting a bit of a new blueprint for how to how to play a position, which is pretty cool. Um, and yeah, Josh Josh Warpole. I mean, yeah, he he's you know one you've got to take with a grain of salt again. Like he um, does present so much value because he's done it before. He's won yeah Peter Cummins medal. Like he could you know does he Get back to where he is. Does he get the opportunity in the midfield, or does he just go and average fourteen? Or whatever? <laughs> like you just, yeah, he's he's a big watch, but you know, there's every chance. Like I've got three Hawks boys in the guts in my starting um, midfield.
1: Yeah, just on Warple, and, and this kind of goes back to that podcast question as well, so I don't know if you've listened to, um, you, you clearly would have listened to Zave on um, Selby's podcast, but have you ever listened to the um, Hardball Gets podcast with Ryan Daniels and Xavier Ellis?
2: No, I haven't. Good?
1: So, so, that's a fantastic one, not just for fantasy, but it's more like footy related, and I remember Xavier Ellis talking about Warple one day and telling the story, so Sam Mitchell would and either just taken over or he was one of the high assistant coaches and he was working with Warpool and, and Warpool's kind of hit up for this sort of cheap, cheap kick. And Sam Mitchell was just ripped him for it saying, you know, what are you doing here? We need you getting up the ground to get to that next contest. Like it's not your job to get that kind of cheap, cheap right. kick. And I'm just not sure whether... And clearly, I'm not in the four walls, but clearly he's out of favour with Sam Mitchell, and and he doesn't really like some of his, you know, his aspects of how he plays. It was pretty evident with him making making him do tag jobs and things like that last year. So maybe that 90 95 average is, you know, the way that he used to play, and it's not realistic of what he can get back to in this New Hawk side. But until we see how it lines up in the the preseason, it's pretty hard to sort of judge from now. Do you agree?
2: Yeah, that's actually. Super, I think that's super important um, point and you can actually take a really good lesson from that. Like, going back to one of the questions you asked me before, like, my learnings from 2022 season, it's to not underestimate the story of the football game. Like, um, you know, they, they talk about a, a season, like it's a um, TV series and, like, you know, this is season whatever. Um, and, you know, each weekend's an episode, like... Every episode, like, I, the, the the media builds up players so much and, um, you know, sometimes they can take that on board and then you see them go 50 one week and then, you know, the media crucifies them and then they come out and have 150. Like, it's, there's just, like, so much, um, yeah, so much of a story that goes into fantasy and not to be put off by what they've done in the past, but, you know, you you're training a player, you pick a player to do what they've done in the future. And that can be, you know, the story can be super important. Like, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Do you agree or disagree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, just, I think it really highlights um, the need to actually watch a lot of footy. Um, it's yep. very easy to get caught in the numbers, but... Um, the numbers don't always tell the full picture and you're right, actually watching the games and, and being able to see it with your own eyes is is super important. But that is a very fantastic point you make in terms of if a player has a few off games and the media just absolutely rips them. Yeah, you're right. More often than not, they have a point to prove and they come out and they, yeah, they go bang. So, it's definitely yeah. definitely something to, to think about. Um, we'll finish just on this question. So, Number fifty-four. So last year, starting three mid rookies was was a play, and then he says it's likely the play this year, considering it was seen as a, a midfielders draft. So, who do you think out of these sub one hundred midfielders um, are the most likely to take the next step this year and and become uh, you know bona fide mid premium? So we've got players like um, Noah Anderson. Tom Mitchell is clearly not a breakout candidate, but can he go back to that sort of one hundred and five? Simpkin, Guthrie, LDU, give us your thoughts there.
2: Um, from the guys you mentioned, I'd be hesitant on a Noah Anderson. Um, like I think um, you know, he's burned us all before, but in that Gold Coast team, like I just can't see Matt Rowe not being the main guy in there at some point. Um, whether it's this year, I don't know. Whether it's in two years' time, um, but at some point in his career, he's going to have five or six years where he's the main guy. And he could take over as soon as this year, and that's gonna. When he does, that's gonna um, hurt Anderson and Miller. Um, so we just don't don't know. Um, with the with the other guys, with like Tommy Mitchell, not as crazy on him as everyone. The preseason hype so far. Like I know he's so far underpriced. What he can do. Um, do is he going to slot into the pies and just dominate like he used to? There's every chance. He's definitely a preseason watch. Um, but he's not the lock for me that um, everyone is um, talking about so far. So, you know, out of the guys there, I do like the look of a Simpkin, and I do like a look of a LDU as well. Um, I think they could they could explode. What do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you you nailed it. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree a little bit with the Noah Anderson pick in terms of I don't I think he's gone past Matt Row now. I think he with his development and how he's come along. I think he's definitely gone past Rao, but why I don't think he's going to be the starting pick that we need him to be this year is more along the lines of Took Miller still being like Took If he doesn't go close to winning the Brownlow this year, I'll be very surprised. I think he's just primed to, to to have another season like that. But the Gold Coast seem to change their game style, so they've gone away from that chip mark and very sort of direct and I don't think in that system you have Took going 110 and Anderson going 105. I think, um, I, I just don't think they have the fantasy capacity as a team to put those numbers up. But I do think Anderson should improve again. I, I He's got all the, the tools to be a good fantasy player in the future. Tom Mitchell, personally, I think he's going to bounce back. I, I don't think he's going to be the the 120 plus gun that he's been in the past, but Collingwood are just absolutely crying out for a centre-bounce midfielder to get in there and win the hard ball and extract. And they just didn't have that last year with Taylor Adams out every second week. Um, you know, Dugowie did his best, but they were so light on in that midfield. You know, they were relying on on Pendlebury to, to have 80% CBAs and, and we know he's been a yeah. gun in the past, but he's definitely ageing. So, personally, I think Tom Mitchell slides straight in there. I think he's going to go, he'll be 70% percent plus CBA is no problem and I think he'll be a mainstay in there and I think he's as, as close to a slam dunk pick as we've seen in terms of most of the comp will jump on him so that's probably a reason for you to not jump on him but I think he's he's definitely a, a 96 priced at player that has the potential to go 105 plus quite easily I think um, yeah no
2: like I'm not saying he can't I'm just I'm just gonna watch it first like um you know I, I do agree with everything you just said Dan like and going back to Anderson, right now, I think, yeah, he's a much better player than Matty Rao. Um, I'm talking more future stocks. Like I still think he's he's um, going to take over the competition at, at one point. Um, but, yeah, I agree. Right now, Anderson, much better player. Sorry, go on.
1: Yep, no, you're right. And then in regards to Simpkin and LDU, I think one of them's going to pop. I'm not sure which one it is. I think it's <laughs> going to be highly dependent on which one receives the tag and which one doesn't. Um, personally, I think LDU is probably the one they should go after because he's far more damaging and powerful, but the yep. tag has gone to Simpkin more recently. How does that look with Cunnington coming back into the mix? How does that look with a new coach? So, for those reasons, I wouldn't be picking either one of those because I'm just too unsure, but I can definitely see one of them popping. And then we won't ta- we won't talk about Cam Guthrie because I think um, – he sort of passed it and Geelong showed him well, more sort of globetrotter yeah. style in terms of a full squad mentality rather than um, one player dominating. So I think you just park him. But we'll, we'll finish up the last sort of the five names that we've got here. So these are the breakout candidates. So give us, out of these five, give us the two most likely that you think are going to take the next step and, and average over 100. So you've got Sarong, Warner, Newcomb, Tom Green and Robottom.
2: Okay, the two out of that group who I think can average 100 for 2023. Tommy Green. I think there's opportunity in the Giants' midfield now. You know, Hopper, Taranto. Um Actually, yeah, that's food. Yeah. Tommy Green, he could be a bloody good pick. <laughs> um, I, I think he's, he's a good shout there. And uh, the other one in that group. Sorry, just say him again real quick. <laughs>
1: Sarong, Warner, Newcomb, and Robottom.
2: Yep, Newcomb. I think Newcomb um, could be the main guy at the Hawks and and do it. What do you think? Do you agree? Disagree?
1: Uh, I think you're yeah, you're pretty bang on. Robottom had a sneaky good end to the year, and I know this because yep. I I I had him in draft, got him off the waivers, and. He was never, he never had the ceiling, but he, I think he was, a—you you know, 105 for the last sort of six rounds. Don't quote me on that, but it was something like that. Mm. And it was never a, it was just a flat sort of, he would score between 100 and, you know, 110 for the last six rounds. So, he's hes sneaky, but, you know, he's behind Mills, he's behind Parker. So, you just don't know how that's going to go. Warner. Warner's one of those guys that I think because he's so good at football and he's so damaging, he started to get the tags and I think that's going to put a bit of a cap on his ceiling. So although he should improve again, I don't think he's going to have the freedom to be that 100 averaging midfielder just yet because he's going to have to learn to deal with that attention. Sarong's the interesting one. We've been picking the Sarong breakout for for three years now. I've never been as big on it just because I know how long it takes for these players to sort of come, come to fruition. But you would think on... You know, the track that Brayshaw went, this was the year that Brayshaw went 104. So, he broke through and, and, mm-hmm. and cracked the ton. And and you would think with Brayshaw taking off, he's going to get the, you know, he's going to be the one that gets the attention. And you would think Sarong's just going to have the ability to improve again. So, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Sarong's around the mark, whether he gets there or not, it's a different question. But you're right, I think Newcomb. Although it might not be a hundred, he's got all the he's got all the attributes and and the opportunity to go close. You know, I, I kind of think of him as as a Jacob Hopper type. Maybe his ceiling is going to be ninety five purely because he 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 gets so much of his scores from tackles and inside ball and not as much from cheap outside ball. But I think um, he's not someone I'm going to start because I don't think there's enough growth there. But he's got all the he, he ticks all the boxes to improve. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, yep, no, agree agree uh, with all of that. Um, you know, We just have to wait and see. One thing before we go, question without notice for you, Holmesie. Um If you can give me for 2023 your D1, M1, your R1 and your F1, I just want to know where your head's at in, tor- in, in terms of the big guys. What are we thinking?
1: So as in for this season, as it stands right now, for 2023,
2: like who's going to be yeah. the top in each line?
1: Yeah, okay. Um, well, I mean, I'll, I've had a bit of a play around with it. <laughs> I'd, pff, D1, it, it is hard to go past Sam Dockey. I'm not going to lie. He, What he did last year off no preseason, um, he was sensational and you would think Carlton improve again. Um, and he even went into the midfield in round twenty three, and I know that it was because <laughs> um, they were depleted. Uh, Hewitt was out, Walsh was out; they had no one. But what what can't that man do? So he never really gets a tag. I think he had one one game against St Kilda where they they chuck someone on him. But other yep. than that, I think yeah, I think Doherty's going to be D one. There's no reason at the moment why he won't M one. This is super tough because we know each year it's like throwing darts, right? Each year it's never the same player um, as it was before. But I'm—I'll just say Rory Laird because he—he he got better as the season went on, and—and and they never tag <laughs> him. It would be hard to maintain those tackle numbers that he was putting up. So maybe the, maybe he falls back a little bit there. But I—I I think like a Rory Laird, he there's no reason why he's going to come back to the pack. Just at the moment, I think he's going to have all the opportunity again. R one, um, Tim English probably the easy answer. I, th- I think there's too many unknowns with the the Gorn and Grundy combination of how that's going to how that's going to work. There's too many unknowns about the the Jackson Darcy combo. Although I think Darcy will be the the majority ruck and and Jackson will just chop out, but we don't know how that's going to work what we do know is and cuz I'm a free man Rory Lob is a bit of a he doesn't like to get into the ruck too much he he prefers to sit forward and 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 do work his craft that way so i i firmly believe that tim english will be you know that sort of 80 75 80% ruck um, and I think with a, another preseason under his belt, I think he's going to start the way that he started last season. So I think he, if he stays healthy, I think he's probably pretty close to, to being our R1. And, and F1, you can't go past Josh Dunkley. He, he is ready to explode. And it honestly wouldn't surprise me if he has a, a Brownlow level season at some point soon because I think being behind who he was behind, being behind Bont and McRae at the Bulldogs, I, I think we, we're yet to see his full potential, which is quite scary.
2: Yeah, fair, fair enough. Um, I'm pretty sure you've just given me the four most vanilla picks that you could choose. Dossie Dossie would not be not be proud.
1: Yeah, well, look, it's at this time of the season. You're right. Um, if you want, if you want, so my sort of it's not as vanilla, but I think Angus Brayshaw, if he keeps if he keeps that midfield role, I think he has improvement on what he did this year. So. He, He's currently sitting at my D1.
2: With um, Smokey, yep.
1: Yeah, Smokey. You know, I think a Darcy Parish under a new coach Ooh. could be like what we've seen him do. His numbers were big in 2021 when he got the role and then even last year he was flying until he got that calf injury and then it, he was slow to come back. So, he's a someone that I'm very big on as well. Um, a Smokey in the ruck, I'm not willing to write Darcy Cameron off just yet. I think priced at 82, we saw him go mid-90s for once he got that main ruck role and we only really saw him drop away where he had those games where Mason Cox seemed to be the number one ruck and I'm pretty convinced that with them getting Dan McStay in, I think it's going to be more of Darcy Cameron and Dan McStay rather than Darcy Cameron and Mason Cox 50-50 and then I've already given you the forward like Dylan Moore I think yep. if he if he's anywhere near that sort of 50 60% cba's like he was towards the end of the year I think he he could well average over 100 in it in improvement so there's some smokies there if you are happy with that
2: beautiful love it mate that's the juice I was after
1: yeah thanks for thanks for hosting the pod mate appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> yes
2: yeah, sorry sorry
1: nah, mate, no mate um, we'll wrap it up there Thank you so much for giving up your time I really appreciate it um, it's really good to you know you clearly know what you're talking about and I'll definitely be keen to, to you know have a bit more of a chat with you a little bit later in the preseason where I haven't sort of just messaged you a couple of days before and said will you jump on when you've you've actually <laughs> sat down and, and really started to plan your team and, and really looked at it because yeah I'd be very happy to, to pick your brains again knowing you know yeah knowing what you're you're very good at this game and and yeah so thanks thanks once yeah, again right, yeah any final thoughts?
2: Uh, no, just uh, have a good, have a good Christmas, and um, we'll talk when we when we get uh, a bit more serious in the new year, maybe. Thanks, but thanks for having me on, Home It was it was good fun.
1: Nah, awesome, mate. Thanks again. Take care.
2: Cheers.